From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Monday edition, proxy voting, remote hearings, no voice in witnesses. Top conservatives in Congress are warning the Democratic majority in the House is using the pandemic to restrict the rights of the minority party. 39 members of the GOP sent a letter to the House leadership on Friday. We'll talk about it with South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman in just a moment. Also, we now see the new line of attack on the Trump administration. We have no idea the size of this challenge uh, to our country because we have not sufficiently tested. That was Nancy Pelosi yesterday morning on Face the Nation. First, it was a shortage of personal protective equipment. And that need was met. Then it was a shortage of ventilators and respirators, which are now in abundance. Now it is tests for every American that the Trump administration is not able to do, according to his critics. We'll talk about it with Dr. Andy Harris of Maryland's first congressional district. And it's official. A new unity government was sworn in in Jerusalem. In an effort to avoid a fourth election in just over a year, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu ended the uncertainty for Israel by forming a coalition a coalition government with former rival Benny Gantz. Some say the alliance is fragile. How fragile? And what are the issues that we need to be watching for? Well, CBN Middle East Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell joins us live from Jerusalem. Another victory for churches, this time in North Carolina, where a federal judge has blocked Governor Roy Cooper's efforts to keep churches from meeting. Are churches paving the way for the reopening of society? It would appear so. We'll talk about it with Dr. David Gibbs, Jr. of Christian Law Association that brought the suit against Governor Cooper. And despite Governor Gavin Newsom's indefinite ban on church meetings in the state of California, hundreds of churches are planning to restart their in-person meetings on May 31st, which is Pentecost Sunday. One of those pastors who is leading the way is our good friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, and he joins us later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. And let me remind you, if you've not yet downloaded the new Stand Firm app, I encourage you to do so. Not only will it keep you up to date on what is happening in our nation's capital, but it gives you the tools necessary to be a participant in this republic of ours. Again, go to the App Store and download the Stand Firm app or go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. Late on Friday, House Democrats succeeded in pushing through a $3 trillion bill in the name of coronavirus relief. And in the wake of that vote, they made some significant changes to the way Congress does business, over which conservatives in Congress are sounding the alarm. Here with more is Congressman Ralph Norman. He represents the 5th Congressional District of South Carolina. He serves on the Committee on Oversight and Reform. (coughs) Congressman Norman, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, glad to be here. Appreciate what you do. Well, thank you, sir. I know you signed a letter along with uh, nearly 40 of your colleagues to the House leadership raising alarms over some very significant there, there are details in terms of how Congress operates, but significant in terms of the outcome that it will produce. Share what uh, with our listeners what's transpired there in the House as it pertains to the rules. Well, as, as your listeners need to know, with a rules change, it doesn't have to go to the Senate, doesn't have to go to the President like uh, other bills. This is an internal change. 
And what Ms. Pelosi is basically doing is is changing 200 years of precedent that the Founding Fathers has set forth as work for the last 230 years, uh, as long as we've been a republic. And they just um, want to get at this president so bad they don't want us to come back in office, you know, come back and vote in person. And they want to give proxy votes 22 Democrats can basically pass anything they want to pass. And it's so hypocritical what they're doing. And, you know, I think they're just desperate. Uh, They may see, have done some polling, and I don't know this, but for them to pass this dramatic of a rule change where you don't have to show up, you don't have committee votes, uh, you don't even have committees, is a outrage. It should be for this entire country. And I think it will be, but uh, that's what they're doing. The letter basically outlined why this was wrong. It's it's like water on the duck's back, though. They, she doesn't. She's uh, bent on power and power alone, and this is what she's doing to try to defeat this president and uh, keep her power. So, Congressman Norman, during this uh, two-week, peri- two-month period that Congress has been out, the co- the committees have been taking testimony they've been hearing you know just but they've been informal they've not been formal hearings but now there's a move to where testimony is being taken the witnesses that are being called uh, the minority party which is the republicans in this case are not getting a say in the witnesses and so basically this is just shoving this stuff through it's and then it lands on the house floor little uh, attention is paid to the details of a lot of this legislation and of course with the majority on the the house floor they can push all of this through and then they use it as a negotiating as negotiating leverage with the senate because the senate's not going to pass it but but they can say, well, this passed overwhelmingly in the House. And that's that's what they're saying. But, you know, we've had the worst uh, pandemic we've had, I guess, since the Spanish flu back in the 1790s. Uh, and they're using this as a tool to get things that they wanted. Why are they trying to put dollars, uh, in which they did in this bill, uh, for uh, marijuana? Why are they trying to get dollars for same-day voter registration? Why are they trying to get $1,200 to pay for illegal illegal aliens? It's money we don't have, and it's so hypocritical for them to continue to do this. But uh, I think the good news, the people are going to see through it, and we're going to call them out for it. But it's not the process to not meet and to not have we don't even have a budget we don't have no idea where this money's coming from nor do they have any idea really what the cost is is the, the the analogy i would use is like dropping money from a helicopter and they're hoping to buy votes with it and um it's a it's not going to work but that's how they operate and as you said, uh, we talked about this last week on the bill. The word cannabis appears in this bill that was passed on Friday times. night. Yeah, more than uh, more times in the word job and four times as many as the word hire. Um, and, of course, the, one of the most egregious aspects about this, I think you touched on it, is the uh, the forcing of the states to redo their elections, uh, requiring 15 days of early voting for federal elections, no excuse absentee vote by mail for all voters. During pandemic, states must automatically mail absentee ballots. 
It creates an end run around state voter ID laws. It mandates that all voters can register the same day and online. This is not the Heroes Act. I mean, this is the Robbery Act of the Falls election. Yeah, they always give a name to it that they think uh, sends a compassionate note. This is highway robbery uh, at its worst, and everything in the bill is just is, is hypocritical for them to continue to do this and uh, has nothing to do with a virus that's brought this nation to its knees. Uh, and, you know, I had a truck driver call me the other day, and he was saying, you know, he said he will be a citizen. He is not going to be a servant. And if they are given power for another two years, Years, uh, and if they get the presidency like they want, then it'll be um, it'll be a complete state-run government uh, that runs everything. All private rights will be done away with, and we've got to put people in office. They cannot stand power, and you cannot give them the gavel. And I think this uh, p- pandemic has given us a view of what uh, at one party what they will do with the opportunity to seize power. Ralph Norman, thanks so much for joining us. As always, great to talk with you. My my pleasure. Thank you. Congressman Ralph Norman of uh, South Carolina. I I want to take on another aspect. Uh, Yesterday, Nancy Pelosi on Face the Nation, I played the clip of her going after the the Trump administration. In fact, I've got another short clip I want to play. Uh, Play the, the second clip of Pelosi yesterday on Face the Nation. American people want the economy to open up. We all do. Uh, we want our societies to, op- to open up. We all do. And in order to do that, we have testing, tracing, treatment, and isolation. And that is the path. It's what the scientists advise. That is what we do uh, in the HEROES Act. Uh, we talk about how we can get there with a plan. This is, we haven't had a plan. Joining me now to talk more about this is uh, Dr. Andy Harris. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Maryland. He's a part of the Doctors' Caucus uh, for the GOP in the House. Dr. Harris, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, Good to be with you, Tony. Uh, so, Dr. Harris, first off, it was, uh, you know, the administration was attacked for not having personal protective equipment. That need was met. Then it was a shortage of ventilators and respirators, which we now have in abundance. Um, is this just the latest line of attack that they want every American tested? I think we've tested almost 12 million Americans by the fall. Last week in testimony uh, before the Senate committee, they were, uh, it was stated that the CDC uh, stated we would be up to about 40 million tests a month come September. Um, I mean, what is this just uh, is this just another reason to attack the administration? Uh, sure, absolutely, Tony, because, you know, the speaker is talking about the antigen tests. And, uh, Tony, you, you and I could test negative for the antigen today and we'd have to test it again. Oh, I think we, we lost you there for a minute, Andy. You're back. I think you faded out on us. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Tony, look, I, the speaker's talking about antigen tests. And, and you know, the fallacy is that uh, you could test, you and I could test today. Uh, negative. We'd have to be tested in two days again if we wanted to be. If we want to know we're negative, you know, every single day, you'd need billions of tests. It's ridiculous. There are plenty of tests out there. 
to test everyone who is symptomatic. And that's the recommendation is test everyone who's symptomatic and then test people who work in high-risk places like nursing homes. So there are plenty of tests out there. The treatments are, are in the development pipeline. Uh, you know, the tracing, uh, you know, this is a little worrisome because some of the tracing they want to do, I think, would uh, interfere with personal privacy. And finally, with regards to isolation, you know, the problem is, is that the Democrats want to isolate people who are well. Uh, the whole idea of quarantine is, has always been to isolate people who are sick. And right. uh, now they want to isolate people who are well. So none of this makes sense. This is just an excuse. We've got to reopen our society, reopen the economy. That's the best stimulus we could give to America is to get our economy reopened, protecting those who are vulnerable, and then opening up society and the economy for everyone else. Dr. Harris, let me ask you this question. Is there any precedent for the scope of testing that Nancy Pelosi and the others are saying is necessary, that every American is tested regardless of symptoms? Well, again, it, it, Tony, it, it makes no sense because it, 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 the antigen test is a one-time test. At some point, maybe if you do what's called the antibody test, which tells you whether you've had it at any time in the past, that might make sense. But to test every American with an antigen test makes no sense whatsoever. That's why the CDC doesn't recommend it. So this is just another scarecrow. They're just trying to, um, again, another line of attack on the Trump administration. Everything that uh, they have attacked the president for, he's dealt with, and they move on to the next issue. Uh, absolutely. You know, testing doesn't solve the issue. And we're seeing that in South Korea, which, of course, the Democrats have held up for a long time. But they're, they're having problems now, even though they, they do a lot of tests. Dr. Andy Harris, thanks so much for joining us today. As always, uh, great to have you on the program. Okay, thank you, Tony. All right, Dr. Andy Harris of Maryland's 1st Congressional District. I mean, they're going to attack the president for something. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing how he takes on these issues. In fact, on the PPE and the ventilators, you know, he brought in the private sector, solved the problem. Then now they've moved on to testing. He's engaged the private sector. He's going to solve that one, too. I feel pretty confident. All right, coming up next, it is official. There is a coalition government in Israel. Chris Mitchell, CBN. The Middle East Bureau Chief joins us live from Jerusalem next with the latest. Don't go away. As coronavirus restrictions begin to ease, many Americans are grappling with how to adapt to the changing times. The last few months have transformed how worshipers think about church and how they are fed spiritually. While many churches are conducting services through live streams, drive-in services, and other means, questions still remain. What practical steps can we take? Are current restrictions appropriate? Do these restrictions violate the Constitution or religious freedom protections? Family Research Council has a new publication discussing religious liberty issues and offering practical guidelines for how churches and houses of worship can begin to operate as our country opens back up. Visit frc.org slash church guidelines to view this resource and learn more. As always, visit frc.org slash church for our full list of resources for churches in the time of coronavirus. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. Consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. 
From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Avoiding a fourth election in just over a year, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu led his Likud party into a coalition government with his chief rival, Benny Gantz, of the Blue and White Party. It became official yesterday as the two teamed up to form this coalition government. Now, this is a a right-wing government combined with a left-of-center government government, uh, which has some major differences. How is this going to work out? Joining us now, live from Jerusalem, is the Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News, Chris Mitchell. Chris, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Tony, great to be with you. I appreciate you staying up late. I know it's almost midnight there in Israel, so thank you for uh, standing up, uh, staying up to join us. All right, you've had about 24 hours to assess this. Uh, What are people in Israel saying? Well, one thing they're saying is that uh, it's a record uh, government in terms of size. There's 36 ministers, uh, and that was a reflection, Tony, of, uh, you know, the Likud and the Blue and White uh, parties trying to satisfy the the ministers that they want to have. Uh, You mentioned the fragility. I think that's one thing that people are noting right now. Uh, It has an inherent tension in it because uh, you have Netanyahu with a a right-leaning uh, party, the Likud, and then the blue and white is more center-left. And uh, perhaps the biggest um, inherent, I guess, tension would be the whole idea of annexation. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu wants to annex or uh, declare sovereignty over 30 percent of, uh, you know, what people know as the West Bank or uh, Judea and Samaria. And uh, that is something that uh, Benny Gantz and his blue and white uh, coalition would rather not see. But so, you know, one of the things uh, that I've thought about, Tony, is, uh, you know, it comes out of the book of Amos. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? And we'll just see how far they can walk together. There's also uh, issues over the judiciary's power. How, how does that factor into the fragility of the um, relationship? Exactly, because uh, the justice minister, the new justice minister, part of the blue and white, said he's going to protect the judiciary. Uh, One of the uh, issues of Netanyahu is that they don't want to have uh, the judicial activism, sort of like the the same idea in the United States where, where justices or judges become activists. So that's an inherent tension as well between uh, the blue and white and the Likud. So with uh, 30, um, is it 30, 36 ministers in the cabinet, uh, how will that work from a practical standpoint of the prime minister making decisions? 
Well, it's, it's sort of unwieldy, and, and actually they seem to be making jobs for many of these ministers. In fact, uh, the government was supposed to be uh, sworn in last Thursday, but there was sort of a mini-revolt among some of the Likud ministers who said that they wanted uh, some of the positions that should have been reserved, in court, according to them, to uh, for them. Uh, so that was uh, delayed till Sunday, so they finally had the government put in uh, yesterday. Uh, I think it's unwieldy right now, and it seems like the power-sharing agreement, what it's going to do is that for the next 18 months, Netanyahu will be prime minister, and then in November of 2021, Benny Gantz will become prime minister, and then Netanyahu will become deputy prime minister, like uh, Benny Gantz is right now. And we'll see how that power sharing goes. They do have a, a sort of veto power over certain decisions, one over the other, which perhaps adds a little bit to the fragility of the government. From a standpoint of defense, defense of Israel, there's not that much daylight between the two parties, is there? No, that's true. Exactly, Tony. In fact, Benny Gantz not only serves right now as the deputy prime minister, but he's also the defense minister. And I think across the board, I would think blue and white, uh, uh, only, only perhaps the fringe on the left, you would see a disagreement. They agree on issues of uh, Iran, the threat of Iran. They agree on issues of, uh, you know, counterterrorism against Hamas. Uh, Palestinian Authority incitement, all of those, I think, across the board, there's unanimity among many of these parties. So, Chris Mitchell, is there a sense of relief among the, 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 the Israelis that they won't have to face yet another election? Definitely. I think, Tony, a big sigh of relief. They've, uh, you know, they've gone over maybe 500 days since the beginning of this political crisis, and now they finally have a government. And I think the other thing that really unified and finally uh, put Netanyahu and Gantz together was the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, people wanted them to address the, the national emergency over here. Uh, right now they have had over 16,000 cases just more than 250 deaths, but they have 25% unemployment. So I think uh, Israelis wanted a government to be able to handle this crisis at least for the next six months or so. So, Chris Mitchell, do we do you begin to see Israel uh, opening up in terms of returning back to work and getting the economy going again, uh, like what we see here in the United States happening? I, I Tony, I think it actually tracks pretty closely to the U.S. Uh, people are going back to work. Uh, you know, there's a lot more traffic right now. Schools are open. And I think the uh, slowly, slowly, I think June 1st, there'll be another phase uh, here in Israel where they're going to be going back to work and, and reopening the economy. Uh, it, just like the U.S., uh, they have 25 percent unemployment right now. Tourism is basically shut down. And I was remembering, Tony, we were supposed to get together when you had your tour this uh, this right. coming summer. And uh, everybody's looking, uh, hoping uh, tourism is going to open up as well, which is such a big part of the Israeli economy. My neighbor is a tour guide, and he's anxious to get back to work and seeing tourists come back to Israel. Yeah, we were supposed to be with you in uh, just under a month. Uh, we were supposed to be there, but that has been uh, pushed back until uh, probably a year and a half from now. So we're going to give a yeah. little bit of time to get people uh, signed back up for that trip. But uh, Chris Mitchell, always great to talk with you. I, I do appreciate you staying up late uh, to give us the latest on what's happening there in Israel as it r relates to this new coalition government. Great to be with you, Tony.
All right, uh, folks, check out uh, Chris and his work. He, he keeps you up to date on what's happening in the Middle East. Uh, great insight. Uh, go to TonyPerkins.com, and you can follow the links over. All right, coming up next, another victory for churches, this time in North Carolina, where a federal judge has blocked Governor Roy Cooper's efforts to keep churches from meeting. I think churches are leading the way in opening our society back up. Dr. David Gibbs, Jr. of the Christian Law Association, was the one who brought the suit against Governor Cooper. And he's here next on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Hey, we're seeing this um, really all across the country where churches are taking governors and mayors to court over their restrictions on religious meetings. Well, a federal judge in North Carolina has blocked North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper's restrictions on indoor services. You know, you have to ask the question, why, why are we uh, limiting the freedom of churches in a way that we're not limiting restaurants and entertainment. Well, the judge answered that question. Join me now to talk about this is the founder and president of the Christian Law Association, Dr. David Gibbs, Jr., who uh, successfully took this suit uh, to court. Uh, David, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. It's an honor to be with you. Well, uh, you have to be very pleased with the decision in this case. And I know it's a temporary uh, stay on the enforcement. But uh, th- just to, to quote from uh, federal judge James Deaver III, he says, The record at this admittedly early stage of the case reveals that the governor appears to trust citizens to perform non-religious activities indoors, such as shopping or working or selling merchandise, but does not trust them to do the same when they worship together indoors. Sounds like the judge hit it on the head. He hit it spot on the head, Tony. Uh, This has been an issue that I never thought we'd see have to be litigated in America. I never dreamed in the last 50 years of this. Is a, we've done 50 years at the Christian Law Association of Defense of Christians. I never dreamed they would say that churches could be put under these types of restrictions and considered non-essential. And the judge just took the points and said, there's a constitutionally protected right here. These churches have the right. And he spelled it clearly. Well, uh, Dr. Gibbs, that's an extremely important point that you make, because as in my role as uh, chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and I look at these issues of religious persecution around the world, the big difference here in the United States, the firewall we have around our freedom is the First Amendment. And that's why it's so important when we talk about the Constitution and we defend that first freedom. And by exercising it, we're defending it. Is And that's exactly what what you did in defending these pastors in court in the state of North Carolina. Tony, what we pointed out to the court, and I ask your listeners to remember, they are freeing businesses and other groups and activities that are not constitutionally protected. And then they're saying to churches, 
who are constitutionally protected, we're going to put restrictions on you that are not on others. That's a frightening format. That's not something that must be allowed to stand. The churches have a guaranteed constitutional right to do what they're doing. So what is the next step here, um, Dr. Gibbs? Well, what we're truly hoping is that the governor will look at this and come back and, and change his position and say, we can't control, we can't do that to churches. It's clearly unconstitutional. I hope he reverses. If he doesn't, we will go to court, have a full hearing, take this to trial, because this is a heritage issue. And we cannot let the government say we have and approve the right to control churches. That must not be what we hand to our children. The churches have to be free to meet. And I want to point out, the churches don't want to do it recklessly. They sure don't want to be dangerous. Uh, These churches are taking extreme measures to sanitize their facilities, uh, to keep their services safe. They owe that as a scriptural responsibility and a legal responsibility. But we must be able to meet. It is unimaginable. It's just unimaginable, Tony, that we let uh, grocery stores, liquor stores, vaping shops, other places be wide open and then put these restrictions on churches when the church is a constitutionally protected one. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out about the issue of taking the precautions, because we're not talking about churches just meeting as they were meeting prior to this. It is taking the necessary safety steps, the best practices to ensure the the distancing, the sanitizing, all of those issues. But in spite of those efforts that churches were taking, uh, you still have the governor saying you can't meet with more than 10 people. That's unreasonable. That is exactly right. And once again, these churches were not wanting to have conflict. They begged the government for clarification and to reverse their position. But when the government says no, then the resort is to the judicial branch, and that's what we did. We took it to the federal court, and thankfully the judge saw the issues clearly. Well, Dr. David Gibbs, thank you for defending the First Amendment, because that's how we do it. We can't just lock it away in a box and say we have it. We have to use it if we want to pass it on to subsequent generations. So thanks so much for joining us, and uh, great job. Tony, thank you, and thank you for all that you do. You do an incredible job. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Dr. Gibbs. Dr. David Gibbs with the Christian Law Association. To find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Look, recklessness is not in. We're not talking about acting as if there's no threat or no risk. And we're not talking about everybody having to go to church. People who are uncomfortable should not go, and we should make accommodations for them. Continuing to do online services. But for those that want to meet, those that are healthy, as we talked about earlier with Dr. Harris, quarantining is for the sick, not for the healthy. Or for those who are at risk, not for the healthy. Joining me next, uh, we will have... Our good friend, Pastor Jack Hibbs, because on the 31st of this month, churches are going to begin meeting in California, no matter what the governor says. That's next here on Washington Watch. As coronavirus restrictions begin to ease, many Americans are grappling with how to adapt to the changing times. The last few months have transformed how worshipers think about church and how they are fed spiritually. 
While many churches are conducting services through live streams, drive-in services, and other means, questions still remain. What practical steps can we take? Are current restrictions appropriate? Do these restrictions violate the Constitution or religious freedom protections? Family Research Council has a new publication discussing religious liberty issues and offering practical guidelines for how churches and houses of worship can begin to operate as our country opens back up. Visit frc.org slash church guidelines to view this resource and learn more. As always, visit frc.org slash church for our full list of resources for churches in the time of coronavirus. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is uh, at T. Perkins. You can keep up with uh, different thoughts throughout the day on Twitter, at T. Perkins. Let me also remind you, the Stand Firm app. We've been talking about it, but we have a new, improved version of the Stand Firm app. So, you know, especially this is good for friends and family who may not have access to one of the 370 stations or so that Washington Watch is aired on. You'll get, you can get it right there in your pocket. Every day you'll get an alert that it's time for Washington Watch. But more importantly, more importantly, it is a toolbox for you to be a responsible citizen. It uh, will send you alerts. You know, once we have your uh, zip code number, we know who your member of Congress is. If they need some encouragement to do the right thing, we can send you an alert. It makes communicating with your members of Congress very easy, and we can help you do that. So download the Stand Firm app on your smartphone. Make it smarter. And remember, as I've said before, our republic was not made for spectators. It is made for participants, and so you need to participate in preserving and protecting this republic of ours. All right, we were talking with uh, Dr. David Gibbs uh, about uh, one of the cases in North Carolina that federal, where a federal judge blocked North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper's restrictions on indoor services. Now, this is happening in a lot of places. Now, some, there's a few that haven't been successful, but they're going to be appealed, and they will ultimately succeed because of the First Amendment. We've seen this in Kentucky, we've seen it in Virginia, and, of course, we have the Department of Justice weighing in on some of these cases on the side of the First Amendment. There's a couple of states still left with uh, restrictions in place, Democratic governors who have, uh, in some cases, indefinite restrictions 
California is one of those states. Even though they haven't seen the apocalyptic um, coronavirus cases that they were saying were going to happen, they have uh, Governor Newsom, I shouldn't say they, I should say he, Governor Newsom has put in place this indefinite stay-at-home order and has uh, basically told churches, I don't foresee when you're going to be able to meet. Well, wrong answer, uh, because they're now... Hundreds of pastors that are preparing to begin with the guidelines we were talking about earlier, being responsible in protecting their congregations and their communities that are going to start meeting on the 31st of this month. Joining me now to talk about this is uh, one of the key pastors, uh, one of the key leaders in the state of California, one of our key watchman pastors, someone you hear frequently on these stations and on this program, is uh, pastor, senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, our good friend Jack Hibbs. Pastor Jack, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, thank you. Always great. Well, we started the morning on a, a call together uh, for another organization in which we were discussing this very topic. And so uh, I'll let you uh, end your day having this conversation with me as well. The uh, Share with our listeners why you, and you have a large church. I, I preach in your church once or twice a year, about 10,000 people there on a Sunday, uh, even more watching online. Uh, you, uh, you, you shared with me a couple of weeks ago that you were going to begin meeting on the 31st of May. Why? Yeah, Tony, um, I don't want to make this sound over spiritual, but I got to be honest and transparent and, and clear on this. I was like any pastor, I would think, since this shutdown happened, I was praying, fasting, seeking the Lord, and the Lord led me to go through Ezra and Nehemiah. I thought that was really appropriate and got into that. And of course, when you seek God's word, God speaks. And um, out of nowhere, Tony, no preconceived, nothing preloaded. Uh, the the date in my head, May 31st. I wrote that down. I literally wrote it, Tony, on my laptop with a Sharpie pen. Didn't know what it was about other than opening the church. And I didn't find out till some days later that it's actually Pentecost Sunday. But here's the thing. I just stepped out alone on that. That was between God, me, and this church. And uh, began uh, to share that, by the way, that was, again, April 26th. I didn't share it for about a week and a half. And, um, you know, you mentioned several hundred pastors, and we're getting reports as of today that there's some 2,300 uh, pastors. Now, I, I, I'm not the one to qualify this number. I'm reporting what a, what's been reported to me. But somewhere in the vicinity of 2,300 pastors have signed on to join us on May 31st. Um, so that's exciting. And, you know, you mentioned correctly, Tony, we have a governor who just would not mention the church. He would not address the church. If he would have, there probably would have been a better relationship, but he did not. He refuses to acknowledge the church. And if you know anything about California history and the recent governors, it's better for them not to address the church. And so he's kicked us down the road without an answer. So I look at the hand of God on this. I believe he's, he's the same God from Genesis to Revelation, and he's he's uh, very relevant today. So he's leading us in this, and we're not we're not shaking our fist at the governor. We would have loved for him to have led, but in that absence, God's made it clear for us to open up our doors. And in our form of government, you know, there is no one individual that is the 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 end all 
of of every decision that that is the the be all and the end all the, the, we we have a, a system of checks and balances we have lower levels of government we have much like what the founders did was they sure. uh, appealed the interposition they went to lower level officials how has the, the the leaders the elected leaders in your community responded to this news well that's that's a great question and and a beautiful answer that that God has blessed us with. Number one, the way that our church is situated, we our I mean our land sits on the the uh, the bringing together of several cities. So those local governments, not only did we let them know what we were going to do, as we did the governor, we sent them letters or we spoke to them personally. The local governments literally said, Tony, I'm going to be quoting one mayor. I'm not going to say exactly which city. That mayor said. We're surprised you guys have waited and been so patient this long. We thought you're going to open up sooner. So when we heard about that, we asked, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And they said, "We need you. Our our our, our police officers go to your church. We've got judges that go to your church. We've got city managers. We need the presence of the church." The county expressed the same uh, confidence and other outlying cities. Having said that, of course, further away is the realm of Sacramento, where Newsom has re- re- rejected or refused our attempts to reach him. We sent him a letter and a video uh, of us reopening, and uh, no no connection whatsoever. So the answer is local municipalities are 100% with us. And, and they will not enforce the governor's restrictions. They will not. They said they will not. So, Pastor Jack Hibbs, let's talk about the the precautions you're taking. Because, first off, you and I have talked about it. I mean, we talk regularly, but yeah. just for the benefit of our listeners. Look, we, but you and I both supported the initial uh, request and f- guidelines from the president saying, look, let's uh, let's slow the spread, you know, 15 days, don't meet. It was a little bit of a shock. I remember when I was having a conversation with someone in the White House and they told me this is what the president's about to announce, and I was like, wow, really? I've never heard, <laughs> that's never happened before. But we yeah. said, okay, we believe it. We don't know what's going to come. This is a new virus. And then half, you know, not quite halfway through, they said, we're going to need to spread it, or we need this to do it another 15 days to slow the spread. Right. You and I talked about it. We, we were, we did our part. We we were good with that, but there comes a point where you've got to move on. Yeah, well said. Um, in fact, like you, I those were the longest 30 days as a pastor in my entire almost 30 years of ministry where we are doing something for what we've been told, and I'm not knocking it, uh, for the betterment and for the protection of others. I understand that. We complied with that. We did that. We did that gladly in the sense that we are going to heed our commander-in-chief, our president, uh, his his petition. Tony, you got to admit, it was hard for me to swallow, too, but Trump asked so kindly and so nicely that uh, it would I don't think it would have gone well if we would have refused that. So we complied. We didn't grumble or gripe about it. What happened for us in California is once Trump's second request ended, the 30 days in total, 
he naturally and wisely, I believe time will prove wisely, handed then jurisdiction over to the governors. In other words, give the governors enough grace to either pull themselves up or hang themselves with it. And our particular governor hung himself with it. When, when he ran from the church and wouldn't address it, uh, the, the leadership was exposed for, for what it is. And he has no regard for the First Amendment or for the fact that California's history, starting from 1770, is replete with incredible works of God, starting with the great 21 missions that uh, Junipero Sierra uh, started in this state. California has an amazing spiritual legacy, and he and the governor just wanted to acknowledge that. And as you begin that process, I mean, you've been working through this, you will be opening with uh, best practices, the guidelines in terms of keeping people in your congregation safe and your community safe. So it's not like you're just throwing the doors open oh. and saying, hey, we're back. You are taking, uh, as every church should, very careful uh, protective measures. And, and by the way, folks, we've got a resource available for churches just for this purpose at uh, frc.org slash church reopening guidelines and 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 that's what uh, you're doing at calvary chapel is it not it's exactly correct in fact we also have real impact.us real impact.us where we've got guidelines as well uh we just recently read to the entire staff the white house guidelines um but what we're doing is a modified version when i say modified version i don't mean modified less down from, but I, we thought the, the White House version was kind of lax, and so we've kind of stepped it up from there. In, in fact, Tony, I'm actually sitting in my office right now that is next scheduled location for what's happening on property today. Tony, we're investing a huge amount of money today in a special uh, decontamination de uh, uh process that a professional company is here with certification. We are literally covering every classroom, every office with a very, very high-tech, uh, basically an, an antibiotic type of atmosphere. This is all in preparation. Tony, I sent you pictures of our courtyard and our uh, green area where we've been praying for the last two weeks. We've been having prayer meetings on Sunday nights. And each person or each family of six has has a dot, a circle to stand within. And, uh, Tony, you know, the first Sunday we saw 600 people show up. Last night we had 1,500 people show up, and everyone was six feet apart. Uh, cleanliness, professional uh, cleaners, signage, wash stations, uh, literally all over the campus, and uh, we're even allowing, Tony, you know our normal service times, we're adjusting that, 7.15, 12 noon, and 4 o'clock, because we're scrubbing the, the sanctuary and facilities in between services. That's how far we're going. Wow. Well, I just want to say this. I, I think I, I appreciate your leadership. I think it is time for the churches to, to to begin as the Lord leads, following the good guidance that is out there, to begin opening and meeting again, because the church will lead the way for the rest of society. Business will not lead. I believe the churches will lead, because here's why. What is holding so many people back is what the media has been force-feeding them for the last eight weeks, and that is fear. And we are the ones that should not be gripped by fear, but by 
love, a sound mind, yeah. and the confidence that God is guiding and God will provide. Again, being wise, being smart in how we do it. But the church, the church is what's going to be, either the church will move out and we will see America restart and move yep. forward, or if the church shrinks back under the heavy hand of liberal government, we will continue to see America sputter. Yes. Yes, Tony, so well said. And, um, you know, you know well that the, the origin of this nation, the epicenter of, of every town was, was the church. And I believe that God is just calling out to America's pastors to assume that role again. And, you know, we all like to talk about revival, preach on it, and write books about it. But, you know, if we, under, if we study revival, we're looking at what could possibly be one of the greatest revivals in American history. Because people are gathering for prayer. People are confessing. Tony, I heard people last night, you could hear the echo of people weeping over their situation. And those are the forerunners. Those are the, 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 the prerequisites for revival. And I think this, no doubt, Satan has meant this pandemic to be an evil, fearful thing. But God's going to turn it around for good. And if the church doesn't counter the narrative of fear, then who will? And you're right. Nobody has that authority but the church. So I tell you what, Tony, yeah, we're all tired. We're going nonstop. We've been preaching constantly online. But i got to tell you, I wouldn't change a thing. And this is personally, if you and I were talking alone, this is the reason why I was born. I can sense it. I think God is about to do something epic in America. I think you're absolutely right, and I look forward to being uh, with you and all the folks there at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, real soon. Love to have you. All right, Pastor Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great evening. And, folks, thank you for joining us as well. As always, great to have you with us here on Washington Watch. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 